This episode is sponsored by Interactive Brokers. Did you know that Interactive Brokers clients earn up to 4.58% on their uninvested, instantly available cash balances? In fact, you need to ask yourself, how much interest is your broker able to pay you? Compare IBKR's ability to pay you interest of up to 4.58% to other brokers who can only pay you less than one half percent. You know who they are. And that's just one of the many reasons clients use interactive brokers to trade stocks and options, futures, currencies, bonds, funds, and more. When placing your money with a broker, you need to make sure your broker is secure and can endure through good and bad times. IBKR's strong capital position, conservative balance sheet, and automated risk controls are designed to protect IBKR and its clients from large trading losses. Their prudent and conservative risk management uniquely positions IBKR to pay you higher interest and with demonstrated security and financial strength. Of course, we know that rates are subject to change. Interactive Brokers is a member of SIPC. Visit IBKR.com slash interest rates to learn more. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of The Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. Rates spiking to decade-long highs. The employment report provides a mixed message. Resilience, that's the name of the game. And a look back in order to look ahead. All this and much more on episode number 824 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Andrew Horowitz here for some more great insights into finance. That's what we do here, right? On the Disciplined Investor Podcast, we talk about investments and finance and money and stocks and ETFs and diversification, all the things that are really important to understand, to get to know about, to master in order to get towards that, that goal of financial independence that we're all looking for. It, I mean, the, the, the idea here is to gather information in order to, for you to have the background, the education, the information that you can utilize in order to be successful. Because, you know, they say that your highest earning and best investment through the time that you're working is what? It's you. However, you're not going to work forever. Maybe, I mean, maybe some of you will. You're like, well, I'm working forever. I'm, I'm not going to stop working. But for those of you that want to stop working and do your thing in the next part the next chapter of your life. The fact is that you're going to have to have another asset that is working just as hard for you. And what is that? Well, that is all the things that you did in order to get ready for that day is your investments. It's a combination of your pensions, maybe social security. It's all the things that go into providing you that lifetime of income that hopefully is going to be stress-free into the future. Because the last thing that we want is to have you all of a sudden waking up one day and saying, oh my gosh, 
I'm retiring in four years. I have nothing put away for it. I'm going to live off of whatever the government is going to pay me throughout the time of Social Security. That, that's, that's a tough thing to do. Let's wake up early, okay? Let's get to the point of what we need to do earlier because if you do simple calculations of how much the differential is in the outcome of your finances, if you were to save early and do it intelligently, compared to doing it later and haphazardly, it's an incredible differential, one that will make you sleep a lot easier in the future. It may stress you out a little bit now because you're like, well, how do I pay my bills, do what I'm going to do, and at the same time, put away all this money that I need for my future? Well, I'm going to tell you something. I want you to think about this. How in the world are you going to wake up one day in the future and try to put away five times more than you need in a short period of time. The stress will be that much greater. So let's get on it. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. Let's figure out ways to optimize your investments. And again, a lot of education goes into that and understanding the terminology, the lingo, the parlance, if you will, of the world of investing. So what we're gonna do today is something we did last quarter. I think I think it's good because I got a lot of good feedback on this. And by the way, you want, you want to send me some feedback, you want to find out more information, you want to give a comment, good, bad, indifferent, go over to thedisciplinedinvestor.com. On the top there, there is a little icon, there's a button that says, Ask Andrew. This is one of the many ways that you can get in touch with us here and write at will. I'd love to hear from you. One of the things that you know, you know that we do and it's part of this process is two-way communications. A lot of times we get great ideas from you, providing us guest ideas, topic ideas, or just insights into what things are bothering you so that we could really work on that and figure out ways to enhance the show in order to provide you the information that you really want to hear about. Well, today what we're going to do is take a look back in order to look ahead. Because sometimes I think it's really a good practice to take a breath. Just to inhale for a moment, look around without any interference, turn off the TVs, turn off the radio. Don't turn off the podcast because we have a few things to talk about, okay? But what we need to do is reflect because we need to look around with really no intentions of doing anything or taking any actions at that moment, but just look at our surroundings to assess where we are. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to take a look back at the last three months, the last quarter, maybe a little bit further back through the last uh, six months, you know, year to date, and gather ourselves, reflect on what's going on, and, and really just go through this in a, in a quick approach to understand what's happening. Because we did see, for example, the most recent employment numbers last week were very confusing, very mixed, right? We saw the ADP numbers come out. That showed like a 450,000 increase in payrolls. Everybody freaked out. Then on Friday, we saw that the payrolls were less than expected. Everybody's like confused, even though the unemployment rate ticked lower to 3.6%. I, I, for one, am going to say something. There are far too many data points that are being put out there as important, vital, essential 
areas to watch in order to understand what the Fed's going to do. That's number one. And number two, there is far too many Fed speak going back and forth of whether or not they're going to hike, not hike, uh, maybe pause, do something different, quantitative easing, quantitative tightening. The, the conversation is deafening. It doesn't get us anywhere. What we need to understand is the, the trend, the flow, what is actually happening as we step back and look at all this. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at all of this. And one of the things that we definitely know is that during last quarter, Wall Street was extraordinarily resilient. That's the best way to describe it. We had, we had, we had headwinds, right? We had rising inflation, two interest rate hikes. We had, do you remember this? It's like so far in the background, we don't even remember it anymore. How about we talk, we talk about the debt ceiling? The debt ceiling, it's like, oh, it was there. We freaked out. Everybody was all abuzz about it. Every news channel, every newspaper, every radio station was just talking about it and talking about it and talking about it. And then poof, it's gone. In fact, it's so gone, they eliminated the debt ceiling for the next, I think it's six months or so, maybe even more than that. There's no debt ceiling right now. They could just spend and do and borrow and whatever they're going to do until such time they get back because they couldn't figure out their budgets. But that was a time that was very concerning. And during all this, the economy, I mean, it stayed strong. No question about that. A lot of predictions that we're going to get into an imminent recession. With the last GDP numbers, maybe not so much. I still think the inverted yield curve, as we're seeing it, as deep it is on the two tens, even on the three ten, three month uh, ten year, even on those being as inverted as it has been since the 19, I think it's 80s. And as long as it is being held in this inverted structure, causes a big problem. There'll be something on the other side. Now, how deep? That's a different discussion. But there'll be something on the other side because the constraints that that puts on the banks for lending, and we know that a lot of uh, the businesses and the, the function of the U.S. economy is built on debt financing, that being the case, there's going to be a substantial amount of concern about the other side, whether it's the real estate market, the commercial real estate debt bubble that's brewing up right now, the lack of lending that's going on, the tightening of the banks due to a lot of things that have gone on. So what do we see in the second quarter? Just a big overview, right? We saw that technology, we know this, outpaced pretty much everything else. Communication services, which is semi-technology. Consumer discretionary, interestingly, did really well, considering that there's this big concern about consumers retrenching and holding back due to the fact that interest rates are high. But you know what? We saw that the jobs market has been, again, resilient. And that is allowing for people to feel good about where they are financially, allowing them then to spend freely. On the other side, we saw energy and financials, consumer staples, utilities, healthcare, pretty much slip lower. The, the really saving grace of the entire market structure during the second quarter was the fact that the technology just yanked everything up. Think about pulling up a pair of pants. You're at the waist with the technology yanking up. Well, you know what? The bottoms, the knees, all that's going to come up with it. So the positive performance during the second quarter was really probably, I think, taken from the fact that the labor market remained relatively strong. Inflation coming down a little bit, or at least the growth rate of inflation coming back a little bit. And 
of course, better than expected first quarter GDP. We saw that just, what was it, last, I think it was last week. We saw the GDP number come out and it's like, oh, you know what? Nowhere near negative at this point. At the same time, we saw that yields on bonds rose during the last few months. And the reason that was that investors were saying, you know what, the economy's strong. Well, we'll remain bullish on stocks, but yet we know there's inflation. We know that the Fed's probably going to step in, so we have to start dumping our bonds. So the rotation away from bonds with the idea that the Fed is probably going to have at least two more rate hikes was something that was very much important to look at. Now, each of the benchmarks that we looked at pretty much climbed, right? The NASDAQ was third best first half on record. Third best last year. I mean, look back last year and look what we did then. I mean, a whole different discussion, right? I mean, we we we, we saw one of the worst six-month periods in, I think, ever or a very long period of time last year in 2022. Everything just popped back up while the S&P also had good growth in the second quarter. And again, a lot of that was built on the fact that the market cap weighted index structure of what we have for those indices favor the technology and those really, again, the waste pulled everything up in the rest of the pants. Important to understand because that sometimes wanes. Sometimes what we see is a situation where we have a reversion to the mean concept. Remember that reversion to the mean where we do see that, you know, when something comes down and maybe overshoots to the downside or the upside, it reverses not too far from that point. So that's important to look at because we did see that uh, when rates were coming down, for example, and dollar was coming down, the thought that the Fed was going to lay off, gold moved higher, oil kind of held up pretty well. But the fact is that we are seeing now more concerns about the economic backdrop. And that's why even though the dollar has been relatively steady to a degree, you know, crude oil declined for the fourth consecutive quarter, the largest losing streak since 1988, even with the Biden administration saying that they're going to start buying and replenishing the SPRs. We saw that OPEC at the end of last week said, hey, you know what? We're going to constrain supply. So all of these things that are going on right now, except for a few little pockets of concern, point to a more bullish outlook when it comes to oil. Um, but... The problem you have really right now in the world, not the U.S., in the world when it comes to oil is the idea that China is really weak. Whatever is going on with the idea that when they reopened, things are going to go gangbusters, that's not quite happening right now. As a matter of fact, it's not at all. Uh, manufacturing is down in China. Uh, real estate markets are having problems. The banking sector is in disarray. A lot of things are really bad. Now we have further complications because we have more of a trade war going on. We shifted back into high gear with trade war with semiconductors and now uh, a problem with certain uh, metals that are utilized or certain um, uh, raw materials that are utilized in the production of semiconductors is being now held back by China. Big problem. Uh, gasoline prices with all this was uh, really nowhere. The good news is that gas prices over the last year, though, are down about a buck 30 on average. That's big. We saw that big spike, remember, with the 
concern about the Russia war, which has turned out to be a nothing burger as well. Everything seems to be turning out to be a nothing burger, and that's why we have the resilience in the markets right now. Now, let's go back and look at April, the beginning of the quarter, because we saw that the, the stock markets that month you know, had decent gains. The, the, Lord, the Dow was up 2.5%. The S&P was up 1.5%. Um, and, and that was really due to a big, fat rally the end of April. Now, small caps... Um, we're down about 1.9% in, in April. Uh, they were kind of nowhere this year, and, and that, that was a big problem. They had a great month last month, by the way. But really, this, this economic backdrop and this weakening that we're seeing and the concern about the housing data that was soft, even though we're seeing that new housing uh, numbers have come up recently, and the home builders, are many of them hitting close to or almost all-time highs in terms of their share price. Now, existing home sales dropped. And financials took a hit, and the FDIC um, took a few banks into receivership. And all this happened, and we even saw the CPI in April only move up a little bit. So the year-over-year increase in April was 5% for, for inflation, down from where the expectations were and down from where we've been. So the slow creep lower in terms of the inflation in the CPI, also PCE, and also, which is the, the uh, Fed's, preferred, you always got to say that somehow, it's like the thing you say, the Fed's preferred inflation gauge, PCE, personal consumption expenditures, um, that ticked down as well. And we even saw PPI move down. So that was good. I mean, the, the, we saw lowest level in April of, of, of inflation since uh, May of 2021. So that was kind of pretty good. Now, May came along and IT and technology and communications, woof, NASDAQ was up 6%, Dow lost 3.5%. The S&P, nowhereville. Small caps fell again. Same thing. Relatively good corporate earnings reports. We saw inflation data that got better each and every month. Bond prices slid lower, meaning yields got higher. We saw a big move in treasuries, but again, not a big deal when it came to overall markets. And again, that's the market cap weighted phenomena that goes on. So the good news is that the debt ceiling ended. Everybody's like, ooh. It's over. It's done. We're in great shape. How much more do we have to go to be excited about? This is excited, exciting stuff that's going on right now. So that was May, right? You know, and then we saw even with that, um, there was the the idea that um, um, that that well, you know, while CPI is moderating, I mean, look at food and energy prices. That's better. Also, again, still inflationary. Still at a point that if we saw this two years ago, we'd be like, oh, that's hot. Not two percent. We're no longer in 2% Phil Dorothy. No, no, no. And to wrap out the monthlies, June, again, another relatively strong month for stocks. Everybody posted gains. It was between, I don't know, 4 to 8%, depending on where we were in terms of the indices. Inflation pressures, again, came down 12-month. PCE price coming in at 3.8%. Consumer prices came down to 4% on a year-over-year -year basis, which was, I believe, the smallest annual increase since March of 2021. And then we had the Federal Reserve say, you know what? We're gonna pause, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna hold back, we're gonna skip, whatever the words they wanted to use with that. Everybody's like, oh my God, this is the end of the rate hike process. I don't think so. I didn't think so then. I don't think so now. We're seeing the continuation of the economy being very resilient. And on top of being resilient, 
it's actually growing pretty well. And the jobs numbers that we're seeing from ADP and from last week, uh, the numbers with uh, the employment numbers that we saw with the unemployment rate at 3.6%, once again, is showing us that, you know what? Things are pretty good. Manufacturing and, and the uh, non-manufacturing slipped a little bit, but still over the last uh, quarter or so, but it's still in good shape. Manufacturing is not as much, although manufacturing, the ISM last week, picked up pretty nicely. So what are we seeing? I mean, right now, as we look at this and we kind of close out the month of, of uh, June, right? We saw that GDP was 2%. Federal Reserve said... Uh, the, the, the banks, all of them, are in good shape. Remember, we saw the stress test come out, and everybody's like, hey, good news. Everybody's fine. The labor market was good in, in June. So all these things were really good clues as to what's going on, except for the fact that we have earnings coming up in the next couple of weeks. We have the Fed looking, looking like they're talking pretty hawkishly at each and every meeting, sending out their various minions to comment about well, we think we should have raised rates. We were wrong not to raise rates. We are right to raise rates. We, you know, whatever their commentary is for that particular day, for that particular speaker, whether a voting or a non-voting, very well-planned process. So with that, you have to look back at this now. So we're going to just try to be objective and look and say, you know what? Economically, pretty good shape. Cost factors coming down a bit. Companies doing a pretty good job of laying off, stripping out excess expenses. And therefore, as prices come down, as long as the revenues still come in, they'll have better margins or at least hold their margins for some period of time. All that is pretty much what is baked into the bullish argument right now. What is not baked in is a 10-year over four and possibly moving up even further to at least two more rate hikes by the Fed, and quantitative tightening returning. Now, whether or not that's just a flash-in-the-pan moment until the next banking issue arises or other black swan event, if there is one, comes along and the Fed decides to turn tail and go dovish again and start throwing money on the situation to incinerate any problems that they have while increasing their overall debt, and on top of it, if the federal government continues to pass all sorts of stimulative actions in the form of no limit debt financing. In other words, they can pretty much finance anything they want right now. There is no limit on the debt that can be uh, taken on by the U.S. government. The problem we have is the more debt that they take on right now, the higher the cost is. The higher the cost, just think about a company. Ah, forget about company. Think about yourself and your house. You take on a lot of debt. You have a lot of debt service that you took on. What that means is that you're going to have to pay a substantial amount on a regular basis in interest, servicing those loans. As such, you have less to spend on other things. And that is what we're starting to see as we creep up from the lowest income and the expenditures from that sector of our economy. Because the highest earners, the highest level of wealth, have been earning all sorts of money excess due to smart investments in simple treasuries at 5%, or the market creating an incredible wealth effect benefit and bonus for them. But when you're down on a fixed salary and costs go up as much as they have, and you have to take on more debt, and you have to service that debt at a higher price, it's a big problem for you. 
as the government takes on more debt right now, and they have to do so at a much higher cost, even though they have unlimited funds, the fact is the deficit starts going wacky and sideways. As it does that, there's going to be a requirement to pay the piper one day. This is not all free. There's going to be someone eventually in government that's going to pull away the punch bowl, and they're going to say, you know, we have to balance the budget. We need to get this debt under control somehow, some way, especially the highest cost debt. So that's as I see what's going on right now. In terms of the stock markets, well, again, we see that uh, year-to-date, uh, Dow Jones up 4% or so, S&P up 15%, Russell up 7%, Global Dow up 10.8%, crude oil is down 12% uh, year on this year, um, and uh, the Nasdaq's up 31%, not too bad. Gold up about 5%, U.S. dollar flat for the year. So that's kind of a, a, a mix of that. Let's take a moment. I want to talk about interactive brokers. Talk about smart money here. Interactive brokers, we know that they charge margin loan rates from 5.58% to 6.58%. Their clients can also earn extra income by lending their fully paid shares of stock. Join interactive brokers clients from over 200 plus countries and territories to invest in stocks and options and futures Funds and bonds globally. Minimize your cost to maximize your returns. How about that? Think about that. I'm going to repeat that. Minimize your costs to maximize your returns. Of course, rates are subject to change. Learn more at ibkr.com slash compare. How about we start talking about more of the macro here? Again, looking back to get a grip on What's maybe the potential for what's ahead? We talked and we touched on the whole employment report situation where we noticed that there's been a lot of strength in the labor area. I mean, you can look at the Challenger Gray. Uh, it used to be called Challenger Gray and Christmas. Just called, I think, the Challengers. Uh, it's just called Challenger now. Their, their job openings, uh, pretty, pretty good. 1.6 openings for every person out there, which is... In the jobs market, I guess, it's, it's, that's that's their ratio. Point is that that is a pretty substantial and a pretty good number in terms of looking at the opportunities that are available. This labor market has tightened a bit. There's no question about that. But there still is, uh, uh, you know, plenty plentiful amount of, of jobs that are out there right now. And we saw that in, in, in April and May and throughout June. I mean, looking at... Uh, Close to 800, 900,000 people put on the payrolls in those three months. Unemployment rate vacillated between 3.7, 3.6. Okay, fine. The, 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 the employment and the um, labor participation ratio is at about uh, 62, not changed very much. Not really changed much for the last year or so, as a matter of fact. Average annual earnings, and that's important because when we look at the labor, really, we have to read through. The point is, how much stress is there on the labor markets, either that people are being let go or people are being added? And what does that mean right now to what it will take to either retain or bring new people on? And what is that going to cost the companies? Because people who know that companies are looking for people will say, you know what? No, thank you. I need more than that to take that position. And when we look at that and we start to think about what is happening right now, we look at the average hourly earnings increase uh, 
that we saw in May, uh, about 0.3%, not much. The average hourly earnings, though, over the last year is up about 4.5%, while the average our, the average work week dropped down slightly. And we're not seeing a lot of change in the initial jobless numbers either. I mean, each and every week we see this number, 230, 240, 250, 220. I mean, you know, we saw last year the lows in the cycle for that period. But but still, a lot of people still on the payrolls, about a million, three or four are still on the un- unemployment payroll, the 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 uh the the, uh, the the continuing claims, we'll call that. So that's kind of interesting, and I think the Fed is looking at this with an important eye, saying, you know, what, with a labor market as strong as it is, we're having a hard time keeping down inflation because as we are seeing that the continuation of hiring is going on, people realize that they need more money to move, and people are getting more money, and therefore the the, the overall earnings are moving up, and that is going to allow for higher amounts of spending, and that is the process that brings on inflation. One of the parts of the process, at least. Now, to their credit, the uh, Fed uh, maintained their five to five and a quarter rate in June. They did this skip. Again, I don't know what the point is. If you're going to ask me of what, why do we have a range, but who gets what? Who's going to get paid what? But it is at the five to five and a quarter percent range. And they said, you know, even though we see that um, the economy is strong, we're going to we're going to take a moment just to just to take a pause and look around and see how our rate hikes have really done what they've done. The problem is that backfired a little bit, in my opinion, because most people are thinking that that's it. It's done, kaput, no more rate hikes, and therefore, off to the races. We saw that happen with the markets. Again, increasing the wealth effect and providing for more money and more confidence overall. So now the Fed's going to go in with, uh, you know, base its de- it, it, it's it's further and, and onward decisions on, you know, data points. That's a big issue, right? Uh, what's interesting is that they now also are saying that they don't see any reprieve and change in the inflation rate down to their 2% range that they're looking to get to till, I think, 2025. So we got a long haul ahead of us, at least two years, or one and a half to two years. GDP really quickly, we saw, we mentioned that uh, GDP rose um, a good amount, 2%. Uh, then we saw some other numbers come out, depending on what you want to add in and take out of that. Consumer spending as a mem- member of personal consumption rose to 4.2% in the first uh, quarter compared to that. Then it kind of increased 4.0% in the second quarter overall. So GDP was actually doing pretty well. Um, inflation coming down a bit, a bit of a... I would say, good spot. Not perfect, but good. Better. Better. The fact is that, again, GDP not coming down, the employment being strong, it's got to make the Fed be like, uh, gents, gals, we got to do something here. So, when we see that even though the PC, the PCI, the CPI, the PPI coming in a little bit, doing a little bit better, again, still pretty hot. We talked about this a hundred times. I'm not going through it again. Now, housing. Housing was, you know, kind of like, okay, we're, we're seeing a slowdown in housing and, you know, existing home sales in May dropped 12%. And we saw that the median price of houses was 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 up, though, in, in May from April, but it was lower than a year ago, right? Lower by, I don't know, you know, 2%. We saw a three-month supply of unsold 
inventory, which is up a little bit. Sales of existing family homes dropped a little bit in May. Um, they're down 20% from May 22, so of over a year ago. And uh, once again, you know, the existing homes kind of came in a little bit. Uh, but but this is all, I think, just cyclical more than is necessarily just rate hikes. It almost seems like this would have happened anyway, and the rate hikes are really not bothering a lot of people. As a matter of fact, last month, just the most recent numbers we saw in new housing all popped up very dramatically. I mean, so new homes in particular are really on fire. Go take a look at some of the companies in that space. Amazing charts. On the other hand, and that's that's the only, I would say, durable, right, That that's really doing well, is, is housing. You look at other things, um, and maybe not durable, I should say, Things, stuff, not doing as well. Manufacturing is definitely faltering. There's no question about that. How, manufacturing is in a recession, period, end of sentence. So when we're seeing that, and on the other hand, services do very well, the two things that are really, I think, keeping the economy up are those two items. Manufacturing not, but housing and all the things that go within construction and the jobs and the things that you need to buy for the housing, but X that, and then adding back in the services, especially experiential, travel, bars, hotels, those things are doing really well. Imports, exports, not a lot to really talk about here. Yeah, dropped a little bit, increased a little bit, made up for it, was revised. I don't think there was anything that really sticks out when I look at imports and exports that could tell me, oh, things are good or bad. It's just neutral. Not much happening there. International trade, okay. Um, you know, the thing internationally, though, that is, is probably the most troubling in terms of the global environment is that China is weakening. I mean, we saw that their currency is getting pretty weak. We saw that there's a variety of stimulative measures being put into place by the Chinese government. We see that a lot of the things that are going on around the world in terms of AI and technology and things like that should be, to a degree, helping that sector of the Chinese economy. But if we think about how manufacturing is in a recession and how we have offshored a lot of that work for materials and textiles and uh, the finished goods to China to just bring back at a lower cost overall, you got to realize that maybe there's something to the fact that there is these various differentiated recessionary signals that are happening around the world. Now, even though, again, the, the Chinese government has lowered the triple R rates for the banks, um, the loans, the, the, the loan rates for the, for the, um, uh, for, for, for lending has been reduced. They actually even put in some benefits for buying real estate again. But a lot of the Chinese are like, you know what, the hell with real estate. We see what goes on there. We're not interested. So we saw that, that's on the one hand, right? And Japan is also staying pretty cool with their current structure of rates. On the other hand, Bank of England surprisingly hiked 50 basis points just back in June. 13 consecutive interest rate hikes. We saw there was also a surprise in Canada. Germany, big problem there. Again, manufacturing. There's a theme here. Manufacturing is a problem. Manufacturing is a problem around the world. And Germany is in a very 
difficult spot, just like Japan, uh, China is, as well as some other areas around the world, like Vietnam and maybe some of the um, Latin American companies that do any of the manufacturing that the world likes and loves. So German exports are sliding, and we're seeing that um, there's a big problem in, in, in the economies of certain areas around Europe. Interestingly, some of the stock markets have hit an all-time high recently. So it's kind of funny. You know, seeing a lot of problems in the stock markets hit a high, which is a decoupling of the economic and the fundamentals that we're seeing around the world. And finally, I think one of the things that you wrap it up with is, well, okay, we have all this information now. What are the consumers thinking? So consumer confidence actually rose dramatically in June, about seven points up from May. And I think what's also important is the 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 present and the present situation index, which is basically a view on what people think of what's happening right now, how they're doing right now and what's going on right now and how they interpret what's going on with regard to, um, you know, their, their, their outcome of, of their situation and their job situation, et cetera. Right. So that's like currently now the expectations index is their outlook. Right. And that's everything's up. Everybody's much happier. Not as great as it was maybe before, but it's still in pretty good shape. So now we have a look at what's going on and we can, some, I think, summarize all this and, and say that there's a mixed message around the world of what's happening. Clearly, manufacturing is an issue. However, we're seeing that service is doing well. This is a global phenomenon. And then on top of that, we're seeing that there is a substantial amount of confidence that is coming back in and people are desirous of putting money to work in risk assets, as well as even taking some longer-term bets in housing, even though rates are higher. Resilience is a big issue. We've talked about this, this idea. And the fact that you have the Federal Reserve coming to the rescue again at the drop of a hat with one bank, two bank, et cetera, and then allowing for sweetheart deals of other banks to buy them, and then even allowing the owners of Silicon Valley, Valley Bank Corp to buy the company back in a consortium valued at $100 billion when they bought it for $250 billion just a couple of years ago, or a few years ago. Nice deal. So now what we have is the culmination of all of these items that are put together, and what we see and say is, well, that as long as we can continue without any hiccups along the way, a la earnings concern, margin pressure, higher interest rates, all the different headwinds that really can crack the facade of what's happening right now and the expansion of margins in a way that now we're seeing like a 19 PE on the S&P 500 into an earnings slowdown that we all know about, even though technology will possibly hold steady and they are technologies now what a 20, I think technology is a 28 or 29% position in the S&P 500 big position. Apple now at $3 trillion Microsoft right on the heels, looking at company after company in those big areas, just getting bigger and bigger. And you don't hear, by the way, any regulatory environment coming out and saying, well, banks can't be that big because they're not, you know, I mean, not banks. Banks, we see, when we say that banks are systematically important, right? And they come in with all, all sorts of regulatory and regulations. It's just because it's a bad industry of bad actors. Always has been, always will be when they have access to your money so close to their, their pockets, you don't see that when it comes to technology. A little bit here and there. 
Yeah, they're coming in and saying a little bit to uh, Facebook and Google, and but dropping the hat overall. So there's your look back. There's a look back to take a look ahead. Uh, I think it's important every once in a while just to reflect on what's happening. I think the summation you can make for yourself is that everything is status quo, except for the fact that the other side of this great party, once again, that we've seen in 2023, is questionable. And the big items that could really wreck this party are poor decisions by the Fed and uh, a much different economic standpoint around the world, as well as the unknowns like, will China invade Taiwan? Um, you know, is the Russian war going to kick up a little bit more? Uh, is North Korea going to do something weird? Who knows what that is? What's going to happen with, you know, the potential for elections? Things of that nature. So, very interesting situation that's brewing right now. Uh, I don't think that we could really say one thing or the other that's absolute. I will share that if you want my opinion, if you want to hold me down to, okay, Horowitz, what's going to happen? It, it's, it seems that we have to see a little bit of a kickback in the markets at least, to get back to a place of reasonable levels of valuation. That probably will happen as we get closer to earnings, which are happening in the next few weeks. But in terms of banks, then a couple of weeks later, we got the technology companies. It's going to be an AI fest, as we know, this wash of tech washing of AI. Um, but banks are going to be the first to come. We'll see how they are weathering the storm of higher interest rates and an inverted yield curve as severe as it is right now. That's what we got this week. So thanks for joining me. Hope you're having a good summer. I'll see you again next week. Go over to thedisciplineinvestor.com. Check out all there is to, to get at that place. Also, ways to contact us and all the different strategies that we have to offer. Thanks again for joining me. I'll see you soon. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company.